guys know, how many guys realize that yesterday was the deacon's work day? Woo! It was cool, exciting stuff. I was getting to that. You're, you're stealing my notes there. But anyway, that's right. It's a church-wide work day. But the deacons, they headed up. You know, they're deacons. They're leadership. And, and uh, uh, so that's what they did. They did a great job of organizing things. We got all kinds of stuff cleaned up around here. And uh, it was kind of cool if you were there. And so, but when all was said and done, Al, of course, being the great deacon, the model deacon that he is, he offers to give some of the other deacons a ride home. Okay? And, and so Al, he's driving the deacons home. And uh, all of a sudden, a policeman all of a sudden pulls Al over. Again, he's having the trouble lately. But anyway, and so the policeman pulls him over, and so Al rolls down his window, and he says to the officer, is there a problem, officer? And so the policeman replied to Al, he says, oh, no, no, no problem at all, sir. I just observed your safe driving, and I'm pleased to award you with a $5,000 safe driver award. Congratulations. What do you think you're going to do with the money? And so Al, he thought about it for a moment, and he goes, uh, well, I guess it's uh, probably a good time for me to go ahead and get that driver's license. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Byron sitting next to him in the passenger seat says to the policeman, hey, don't worry, officer. He's only a smart aleck like that when he's drunk. And then Bill Wimberly, he's in the back seat, pipes up right after that and says, I told you guys we wouldn't get far in this stolen car. Yeah. And then at that very moment, there was a knock from the trunk and it was Kenny in this muffled voice. And he says, are we over the border yet? Now, how many of you guys would say the deacons probably had a pretty rough day yesterday, you know what I'm saying? I didn't want to say this, but I guess I have to. You know, we got to probably vote on this, but is, is it okay if we use a little bit of today's offering to post bail for Al? He's not here today. I don't know. <laughs> of all Sundays, not to be here. But anyways, you guys can see the deacons had a pretty bad day. I mean, one thing led to another. It was unfortunate, and just bang, things went downhill pretty fast, didn't they? Okay, but that's right, folks, believe it or not, all kidding aside, did you know that deacons are not alone? Did you know the Bible says, really, there is coming a day when things are going to go downhill extremely fast, and that's right after the rapture of the church, okay? And it's going to lead to everybody's whole planet worst nightmare called the seven-year tribulation, and that's not a joke. For those of you who do not know, the seven-year tribulation is not a party. It is an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Savior, said in Matthew 24, speaking of that time, it's going to be a time of greater horror than anything this world has ever seen or will ever see again. And unless God shortened that time, the entire human race would be completely destroyed. But praise God, God, as we know in the scripture, he's not just a God of wrath, i.e. justice, I say this again, folks, God is, this is the good news. God's not gonna let all this evil and suffering and wickedness go on forever. He has appointed a day and he's gonna judge this planet. Nobody gets away with nothing. All those people who think, ah, ha, ha, they never caught us. We didn't go to court. Excuse me. God has the last word and that's good news for you and I, but he's not just a God of wrath, i.e. justice, pouring out his justice. He's a God of love as well. And because he loves you and I, he's given us many warning signs to warn us, to let us know when the tribulation was coming near and Jesus Christ, his second coming was rapidly approaching. So therefore, in order to keep you and I from experiencing the ultimate bad day of being left behind, literally things going downhill very fast, like the deacon's day uh, on your worst nightmare, we're gonna continue our study, that's right, the the final countdown, okay? And what we've been seeing with our study, if you guys have been here so far, the last two times, okay, it's a countdown, so we go 10, 9, how many of you guys caught on to that so far? Okay, but hey, praise God. Okay, the number 10 sign on our final countdown, uh, showing us we really are living in the last days, was the Jewish people. And so far what we've seen just on that one topic, guys, is that God clearly foretold that when you see the Jewish people return to the Lamb, 
become a nation again, be brought forth as a nation in one day, become a united nation again, their currency going back to the shekel, they'd blossom as a rose in the desert, they'd have a powerful military, they'd become a center of world conflict, and literally, as we saw last time, they'd rebuild that temple again, and that was in great detail if you were here. The Bible says you better wake up, Christian. You better wake up, person. Because it's God's clear indicator. You are living in the last days. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But my goodness, things are getting close. Okay? But concerning the Jewish people, that is still not all. The 10th end time prophecy concerning the Jewish people, get this, they would actually have a relationship with the Antichrist. You talk about an unfortunate relationship, but folks, you can't get away from it. Old or New Testament, it's unfortunately going to be interwoven. The Jewish people are going to have a temporary relationship with the Antichrist. And the first thing we know about this relationship is they are actually going to make a peace treaty with him. The Jewish people are going to make a peace treaty, believe it or not, with the Antichrist. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And, uh, of course, Daniel was written by Daniel. Man, you guys are sharp today. This is great. Daniel chapter 9. We're going to read verses 20 through 27. We saw the tail end of this before, but I wanted to grab the context of what's going on here. And we're clearly talking about what is the event going to be that starts the seven-year tribulation. How do you know when does the clock start, tick, 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 start going? It's right here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 through 27. Here's what uh, Daniel has to say to you and I. Okay, he says, now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the, earlier in the vision, the angel, he came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. I think it's about three in the afternoon. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand this vision. Let's do the same today. Here's what he says. Seventy-sevens. Pay attention. This is how we know the seven-year tribulation. When does it start? Seventy-sevens, he says this, uh, are decreed for your people. Obviously, that's the Jewish people according to the context, right? So seventy-sevens are decreed for the Jewish people is what he says. He says, now listen to this. He says, to finish transgression, to put it into sin and atone for wickedness. The first three were accomplished at Jesus' first coming. The next three are going to be accomplished at his second coming. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. We're not going to need this anymore. And to anoint the most holy. Now, know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And we know the exact day when that was made. Okay. Until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. That's a total of 69 for those of you still hooked on math. Okay, you got that? So that's 69, so that means there's one set of sevens or seven years left to go, okay? So he says, after that, 69, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and uh, will have nothing. Jesus fulfilled that, if you do the math, to the exact day with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, okay? Now the people, the ruler, the Romans, who will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. Now listen, remember we got one set of sevens to go. He will confirm a covenant, okay? 
Based on the context and other passages, that's the Antichrist, the he, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, and in the middle of the seven, he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering, halfway in the seven-year tribulation. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the time that is decreed is poured out on him. Man, there's a whole lot going in that text, but I just need to get to, to focus on that last one. But as you guys can see, and again, if you were here last time, this is the classic uh, text that tells us specifically the exact event that starts and finishes up the 77's prophecy from Daniel when he's talking about the final days, okay? When the Messiah ultimately would come and rule and reign literally on the planet. And that, of course, is Jesus. And that exact event was when, uh, that starts the seven-year tribulation, is when he, the Antichrist, makes a covenant or literally a treaty with the people of Israel, right? Okay, so it's right there in the text. It's absolutely obvious. Now, here's the point, as we saw last week. Can anybody guess where it just so happens right now in the world that the whole world is just crying desperately to make a treaty with? <laughs> the people of Israel, right? I mean, this is commonplace. We see this all over uh, the news every single day. And again, the, the uniqueness of this, it's Israel, little bitty tiny Israel. Not Russia, not China, but little Israel. Because as we saw before, they're fulfilling the prophecy of becoming a worldwide conflict. Put that together, it's becoming the impetus to fulfill this prophecy here in Daniel of having to make a treaty with somebody, i.e. the Antichrist. And so the Bible tells us one day because of all this conflict, listen, that we see on our TVs every single night about Israel that one day this is going to drive the people of Israel to make a treaty with the Antichrist himself. And so here's the question. Are there any signs, in fact, that the Jewish people are trying desperately again and again and again to make a treaty with somebody, some figure, some former government to give them peace? Any signs of that? Well, folks, it's all over the place, but I just wanted to give you just a few of the failed attempts uh, throughout the history of Israel with the governments and the people they're trying to make these covenants with. That Daniel, he wrote that like 2,500 years ago. We're watching it. In fact, it happened so much, I think we've become numb to it. But let's take a look at just some of the failed peace treaties or covenants that people have tried to make uh, with Israel. The UN Security Council Resolution 242 back in 1967, tried that and uh, didn't work. Camp David Accords, remember that back in Carter days? trying desperately to make peace, and that didn't work. Uh, then you had the Madrid Conference of 1991. You had the Israeli-Syrian talks of 1991. Uh, you had the Oslo Agreement in 1993. You had the Israel-Jordan Treaty of Peace back in 1994. You had Camp David once again, trying again in the year 2000. That didn't work. You had the Taba talks of 2001. You had the Saudi Peace Plan of 2002. You had the Roadmap Peace Plans. Remember that back in the Bush days in 2003? Uh, Geneva Accord, 2003. Uh, you had the Sharm el Sheikh Summit back in 2005. You had these guys, everybody's trying to get into it. The Franco-Italian-Spanish Middle East peace plan back in 2006. That didn't work. You had the Israel-Hamas ceasefire 2008. That obviously isn't working. And you had uh, even recently the direct talks peace plan. They're not messing around. It's going to be direct. Well, it ain't working because now they're trying <laughs> this one, the Israeli Peace Initiative of 2011. The current administration is working on this thing. But as we all know, apparently, guess what? It ain't working, okay? Now, here's the whole point, guys. I'm telling you, this is absolutely amazing. I think we're so used to this that we've lost the significance of it. Maybe it's just me, but it sure looks like somebody is trying to get a peace treaty going with, not just with Russia, not, not Israel, not even North Korea. Of all places on the planet, where are the whole world governments trying to make a peace treaty with? It's Israel. Now, listen, this is the, the amazing thing. Okay, you have to understand the significance of this. One of these treaties... 
I don't know. Uh, maybe it's that last one. Maybe they're trying to still work on that last one in 2011. Maybe it's one that's being hashed out right now behind the scenes. We don't know. But one of those treaties is going to be with the Antichrist himself. It's happening in our lifetime. And unlike all the other failed ones, as we just saw, as Daniel told us, he, the Antichrist, alone is going to finally get one to quote-unquote work. Okay, but unfortunately, it is not going to lead to peace in the Middle East. It is going to be the exact event that starts the seven-year tribulation, the whole planet's worst nightmare. And the Bible says when you see this trend, when Israel is trying desperately to make a covenant with people around the world, you better wake up. Because it's that close, the fulfillment. That is the very event that starts the seven-year tribulation. They're going to make a peace treaty, unfortunately, with the Antichrist. The second thing we know about the Jewish people and their relationship with the Antichrist is, unfortunately, they're going to place their hope in him. Okay? And this is all because of a temporary blindness, uh, I believe, that Paul talked about. Let's take a look at that. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Paul says this, For I do not desire, brethren, he's talking to the church, he's talking to us, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should become wise in your own opinion, in other words, proud and arrogant, okay? That blindness in part, that means it's temporary, okay? Blindness in part has happened to Israel. For how long? Forever? No. Until the fullness of the Gentiles, that's you and I, uh, has come in. And so all Israel, after that, will be saved, as it's written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Okay? Now, folks, according to our text, now we see in this passage one of the many examples, I don't have time to go into it, Old and New Testament, that clearly tells us that God is not done with the Jewish people. And I have to belabor that because the final point we're going to see that people think they are, and it's given rise to another prophecy called anti-Semitism in the last days. But God is not done with the Jewish people. They are currently under a temporary blindness in part, a temporary blindness until what did it say there? The time of the Gentiles come in, i.e. the non-Jewish people, you and I, until we, i.e. Uh, the, the uh, number that God has apparently picked, until that number gets reached, i.e. they get saved. Okay, God knows who's going to get saved. And so here's my point. Un once that number comes in, we don't know how long it is. We don't know the number, only God does. But once that number comes in, God is once again going to focus on the Jewish people. He's going to rescue them. He's going to fulfill his promises that he made, because he's not done yet. As we saw there, he's going to rescue them. He's going to fulfill his promises he made way back even with the patriarchs, way back even with King David. So here's the point. Until that time occurs, the Jewish people are unfortunately going to be blinded amongst all things, I would say clearly, of the true identity of who the Antichrist is. And so they're not just going to make a peace treaty with him, but think about it. Apparently, they're even going to look upon the Antichrist as some sort of savior to place their hopes in thinking that this guy and this guy alone is the only one who could finally pull it off to give them peace like all those other guys and those plans we just saw could not do. So they're going to place their hopes in him. And so that's the question. Are there any signs that the Jewish people are expecting some sort of Messiah type figure, some sort of savior to come and rescue them and give them peace? Is that the Antichrist is going to say, yeah, that's me. Do we see any signs of that? Yes. In fact, they believe he's already alive 
and well on the planet. You tell me if they're not expecting somebody to come and save them real quick. Okay, they're, they're being set up, unfortunately. The most important, one Jewish guy said, the most important event in the Messianic era will be the rebuilding of the Holy Temple. We saw that last week. Boy, are they getting close or what? He says, it is the act of building the temple that will establish, that will establish the identity of the Messiah beyond a shadow of a doubt, okay? The Messiah will be king over Israel and a king can only be crowned by the Sanhedrin. Listen, the reason he will come to Jerusalem first is to be recognized by the Sanhedrin. Now, if you were paying attention last week, for the first time in 1,600 years, guess what just got birthed back on the scene? The Sanhedrin. The same ruling council that was in existence with the mock trial with Jesus in his first coming has now just came back on the scene just prior to his second coming. But they believe this Messiah, that he's going to be presented to the Sanhedrin. They're going to give their blessings upon him. Yeah, he's the one. Excuse me, that's not all. They're even more direct. Chief Rabbi Burel Lazar believes that, the, uh, believes that the earth will soon see the coming of a Messiah to judge all mankind. Quote, we know that he is very near at hand. The Messiah may well have been born already. The world today is in a state described by our sages as the Heble Mashiach, that is labor that precedes the coming of a Messiah. We are living on the verge of history. It can be felt everywhere. They're expecting it any day now. Somebody to come and save them. Okay, and finally, Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri called upon the worldwide Jewry uh, to return to Israel due to natural disasters which threatened to strike the world. Okay, in the future, the Holy One, blessed be He, will bring about great disasters in the countries of the world to sweeten the judgments of the land of Israel. I am ordering the publication of this declaration as a warning so that Jews in the countries of the world will be aware of the impending danger and will come to the land of Israel for the building of the temple and the revelation of a righteous Mashiach or Messiah, the Mashiach, he believes, is already in Israel. You know, their Savior. You know, somebody placed their hopes in. You know, somebody who can bring them peace like all these other treaties haven't been able to do. Folks, here's, here's the point. When you start looking at that's not all of them. When you start looking at the Jewish people, it seems like they're being set up, unfortunately, to receive some sort of Messiah, some sort of a savior figure who's gonna come and we're gonna place our hopes in him and, and he's gonna give us what nobody else has been able to do. He's finally gonna give us peace. He's gonna be on our side. And the Bible says, yeah, that's gonna happen, but it's a false peace and his name is the Antichrist. And the Bible says, when you see these things begin to take place, Christian, you better wake up. It is a sign from God. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but it is a sign from God we are living in the last days. The third thing we know about the Jewish people and their unfortunate relationship with the Antichrist is the Antichrist is actually going to demand worship as a man, okay? And this is clearly what the Apostle John told us in Revelation chapter 13. Not once, but twice, just in this one text. He is going to require worship just as a, a guy, a man, okay? Revelation 13, verse 11 through 12, 14 and 15 says this. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. That's the false prophet. The dragon, based on the context, is Satan. He, just like the Antichrist, is inspired by Satan himself. And here's what the false prophet does. He exercised all authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, on his behalf. And here's what he did. He made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, the Antichrist. What, what's, what did he do? Worship the Antichrist, just a mere man, 
okay, uh, whose fatal wound had been healed, okay? Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, the Antichrist, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. This is a global event. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast, the Antichrist, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Now, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak, listen, and caused all who refused to worship the image of the Antichrist, i.e., to what? You're going to die. Whoa. Wait till we get to the technology for that. Lord willing. <laughs> Folks, here's, here's the point of the text. As we can see, this is that classic passage, if you know Bible prophecy, from the Apostle John that tells us the false prophet is actually going to dupe the whole world into worshiping the Antichrist. It says that not once, it says it twice in that text. They will worship him. And in case you don't want to, oh, guess what? You're going to die. But it says that they're going to worship him. Listen, he's a man. Now put that all together. Here's the point. Do we see any signs of people's hearts being prepared to worship, listen, not just a man, but who is the Antichrist on the world scene? He's a political figure of a man, right? So that's the question. How do we know? How do we get close? Do we see any signs of people worshiping a political figure of a man in true worship? Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious, folks. How many guys have ever seen those giant parades and those humongous pictures and statues of Stalin and Mao Zedong, you know, Russia and China, and people, uh, you know, they, they parade him in these giant parades like it's some sort of a worship service. Have you seen that? He's just a guy. He's a political figure. They, they, it's like, what? That's kind of creepy, right? Have you ever seen those? It's like, man, it's just got the guy's big giant head and people, you know, whatever their song is, but it's like, what? And then even recently, if you paid attention, the recent death of North Korea's president, did you see the videos on that? What were these people doing before his image? They were bowing down. They were weeping big alligator tears all over a man. Now, here's my point. This is a whopper, folks, when I came across this. Now, see, we're tempted here in America to go, man, that's just those communist countries. You know what I'm saying? That's just Russia, China, North Korea. You expect that from those people because, uh, I mean, th there's no way we're America. There's no way in, in our right mind are we going to worship a man let alone a political figure of a man. There's no way. How many of you guys realize I use sarcasm to set you up to make a point? Yeah. Folks, I'm here to tell you, man, what I'm about to share with you is not only shocking, but I need to state the obvious, okay? What I'm about to show you has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with Bible prophecy. Lord willing, as we continue on our study, you are going to see various examples of Democrats, various examples of Republicans, Various examples of rulers from around the world, okay? So here's my point. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with Bible prophecy. I'm not playing party favorites. I don't care what the party is. I'm just trying to deal with the facts, okay? And I make that disclaimer because I don't want you leaving here and saying, oh, we're just picking on one. Hey, listen, personally, me, I think they're both in it together. Democrats and Republicans, okay? I'm not saying every single one of them, but I think most of them are. Okay, now I need to say that because what you're going to share, share, folks, is absolutely, it just, ah. Oh. You tell me, folks, if even here in America, we too, our hearts, just like over there in, in Russia with Stalin and Mao Zedong and North Korea, if our hearts are not being prepared, listen, what was the prophecy? That people in the last days are going to worship a political figure of a man. Let's take a look. 
at what I've come across some evidence. Here we see a massive bust of Barack Obama that was made of steel and concrete that topped 20 feet high and weighed about 12 tons and was shipped in two pieces on the back of a truck. I'm imagining that we paid for that. Big old giant head thing, that's starting to remind you of over there in Russia and stuff. But listen, listen, here's what it was. The purpose of this was to make its way along a 10-state, 40-city tour okay, that was scheduled to conclude its journey outside Mount Rushmore. Nothing, nothing compared. Listen, I, I'll say this again. This has nothing to do with Democrats. I don't care who this was. It has to do with Bible prophecy. And we have to deal with the facts. Now listen to this. Then, th I thought that was bad, an artist in Iowa, that's the actual uh, picture, in Iowa created an inaugural parade of Barack Obama riding on a donkey, making his own triumphal entry, complete with the doors waving palm fronds with a so-called Secret Service escort. That's mockery. Listen, it gets even worse. Another artist, that's the picture, planned to unveil this portrait of Barack Obama in a Christ-like pose with a crown of thorns on his head at New York City's Union Square Park to mark his 100th day in office. As a Christian, I don't care what party he's at from. I find that offensive. What's the point, though? In the last days, people are going to worship a political figure called the Antichrist. But do we see any signs of us worshiping political figures? That's the point. Don't miss the point. Okay, but it gets even worse. If that wasn't enough, people around the world have found it apparent, listen, to even pray to Barack Obama and even pledge allegiance to him as this next video shows. Shades of Russia. Take a look at this. We are here to the healing of the nation. Yes. 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 With the prophet Jeremiah, we cry out, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no position here? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? With the prophet Martin Luther King Jr., we cry out of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health care is the most shocking and inhumane. From health care systems and industries that place profit over people. I pledge. 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 I pledge to be of service to Barack Obama. I pledge to be a servant to our president and all mankind. Because together we can, together we are, and together we will be the change that we seek. Please don't miss the point. Who would have thought that here in America, we could sit there and laugh and scoff at those History Channel specials. Look at what they're doing with Stalin. Look at... Who would have thought here in America there would actually come a time when we too, like the other nations around the world, would show signs of worshiping a man? And not just a man, but specifically, what's the text say? A political figure of the man of whom is preparing our hearts, I believe, to one day receive another political figure of a man called the Antichrist. That's how close we are getting. And the Bible says when you see signs of that Christian, you better wake up. You're living 
in the last days. The fourth thing we know about the Jewish people's relationship with the Antichrist is, hey man, this man worship ain't enough. That's the first setup. He's got an ultimate goal in mind. He wants you now to worship him as God. And this is the text we saw last time that Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-4. through four, says this, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, church, not to become uneasily uh, unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy or report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anybody deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's doomed, obviously, for destruction, the Antichrist. Now, here's what he's going to do. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he, the Antichrist, sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be what? God, it's right there in the text. And this is what we saw last week if you were here. This is the text that tells us that the Antichrist in the last days is going to go up halfway into the seven-year tribulation. Okay, he's going to go up into the rebuilt Jewish temple that we saw last week. They're getting ready to do right now. And he's actually going to have the audacity to say, worship me now, not just as a man, not just as your political savior around the world, but now I demand you worship me as God. And so here's the point. Do we see any signs? of people even going to stage two of his ultimate goal, of people, believe it or not, worshiping somebody, literally professing him to be a god. Yes, in fact, folks, if you've been paying attention, there's a whole slug of false teachings out there that have been paving the way to get us and encourage us to do just that. Let me share just a few of those false teachings that encourage us to worship a man as a god. One of them's environmentalism. I'm not against, uh, you know, let's destroy the planet, put oil on the ground. I'm not saying that, but you got to be careful, folks. We'll get into this, Lord willing, later. What's woven into it is pantheism, that all is God. But here's the point. This is what they teach. The philosophy of environmentalism is based on the religious belief of pantheism. Pan meaning all. All is God. Okay, and that God is in all and all is God. That earth is our mother. That's old-fashioned paganism. It used to be called Gaia worship. Now we just say Mother Earth. Okay, and that all living things have equal value, okay, and that mankind has overstepped his bounds, even being a cancer on the rest of nature. As uh, uh, ardent environmentalist Al Gore stated, God is not separate from the earth. Excuse me? No, he made the earth. He is separate from it. Okay, but again, that's starting to get your heart to thinking that all is God, which would include a man. But it gets even more blatant than that. Hinduism says that all is God. Hinduism worships multiple deities, gods and goddesses, and that all is uh, reality is unity, they believe. The entire universe, including you and me, they believe is seen as one divine entity, just in different facets and forms and manifestations as seen in this actual clip. They actually believe that a man can not only and could be God, but is to be worshipped as God. Listen to this. This is wild. Well, Guru is the, our best friend, philosopher, and guide. And he shows the way to God. So, uh, we in our India acknowledge him as a divine power just equivalent to God. If anyone could be near the beloved master and witness the love, the compassion, the humility, the grace, the generosity, no one in his right mind would not know that this is a walking, talking, living God on earth. In all scriptures you will find that the master is the God incarnated power working on earth. You people that interviewed this gentleman today, I don't think you knew who you interviewed, but you interviewed God. Come on, you mean to tell me in the last days the Antichrist, he's going to go up there and he's going to go up in this rebuilt Jewish temple, he's going to declare himself to be God. Yeah, pfft, come on, nobody's going to do that. Every person on the planet who's a Hindu, 
They're being prepped for it. But I'm telling you, it's all over the place, many different angles, all at the same time, to prepare people to worship a man as a god. That's not all. Mormons say you can become a god. After you become a Mormon, this is actually what they teach folks. Where they don't tell you this knocking on the door, okay, uh, that you have the potential of becoming a god. Then they shall be gods, this is a direct quote, because they have no end. Therefore, they shall be from everlasting to everlasting because they continue. Then shall they be above all because all things are subject to them. Then shall they be gods. That's why, with all due respect, they're going on their little high priest bike tour for two years. That's why they're doing this because they believe that they can earn their way to the top celestial kingdom where the reward is the men get to become gods. The ladies whom they marry have the privilege of being a goddess. And their supposed promise is they get to go in... Uh, the universe and they get their own planet and they get to populate that planet with spirit babies the the mormon uh god is supposed and goddess his wife okay now listen ladies with all due respect how would you like to be forever pregnant populating a whole planet with hey i state the obvious man my wife personally doesn't want to do that uh but second <laughs> two two's enough okay but folks that's what they teach that's that's the that's the seduction they don't tell you that knocking on the door, but that's why they're working so hard. And dare I say, unfortunately, they're working harder than many Christians. But they believe they can become a God. Again, what's the context? The Antichrist is gonna say he's God, hey. Mormons are gonna say, yeah, you're right, you can become a God. That's what they actually teach. Uh, suppose the UFO space aliens say we're God. Wait till we get to that Lord William later in the study. The ultimate excuse, I'll just give you this, for the rapture of the church. Here's what some of their messages are saying to people that are channeling them, which is an occult technique, by the way. Uh, love yourself among the ones who love you. Allow their love to fill you, but above all, feel your own love that you have for yourself. Why? Well, because they feel very honored to this day to sit before the humans who have chosen to be among the first to step into their what? Divinity, to walk as complete divine beings clothed in human flesh. You come all the way across the universe, supposedly, just to tell us that we can be a god? Uh, that's, that's kind of fishy. Suppose the messages from the Virgin Mary say we're God, okay? Uh, and obviously this is not from Mary because the Bible's clear. Luke chapter 16, uh, there's a chasm fixed between the two. Uh, once you get to heaven, you're not coming back. You're not speaking back. And so if something is actually speaking, it's a familiar spirit. It's a demonic spirit. But they pose as all kinds of things, and one of them is the Virgin Mary. Unfortunately, people fall for it. Again, Lord willing, we'll get to that later. See, here's what this uh, being said. God is all that is, therefore we are prime creator expressing itself, capital I, as us. We are not striving for perfection as we are already perfect. How many, how many guys are married? I've been married. Isn't it awesome when you get married, you find out very fast that your spouse is perfect? Liar, liar. Pants on fire. Let's continue on. Uh, what we are striving for is to remember our perfection, this uh, lying entity says. We are not divided into parts since God is us, therefore we are God. And that's another lie. That's still an all supposed messages from angels. Remember, angels can disguise themselves, Satan, as a messenger of light. Okay? Just because he comes with goosebumps doesn't mean it comes from God. And this is not from God. This is a demon. Said this, it is nice to come and break bread, the bread of truth. God gives all of his creation freedom of choice to find themselves, to find their true ancestry of God goddess within them. Excuse me? New Agers say that we are God, and one of the most ardent ones for many years, for decades, has been Shirley MacLaine, and she not only says she is God, listen, she came out with a movie encouraging other people to do the same. The name of that movie was Out on a Limb, okay, Broken Limb, unfortunately, as, and she actually says that's what we need to start chanting, that we are God. Let's take a look at that clip there. The kingdom of heaven is within. I love myself. No way, better than that. 
say, uh, say, I and God are one. No, wait, 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 better than that. I got the best one. This is the best one. Just say, I am God. David, I can't say that. See how little you think of yourself? You can't even say the words? I am God. I am God. A little louder, please, with maybe a little more conviction. I am God. I am... Look, if I'm God, what does that make you? Well, we always see in others what we see in ourselves. I am God. I am God. I am God. I am God. I am I God. God. I am 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 God. I'll say it again. How close are we getting? The last day says that Halfway into the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist is going up into the rebuilt Jewish temple and declare himself to be God. Every single person who's being indoctrinated in the lie of New Age is ready for it. But that's still just another facet. That's not all. Wicca, of course, witchcraft, shocker, uh, also teaches that we are uh, God. What, what's, what's the major religion on the rise? Third fastest growing, I think, in the United States, especially amongst teenage girls. Oh, that's right, it's Wicca which is the new term for old-fashioned witchcraft. Here's what they teach. The existence of a supreme divine power is known as the one or the all. The all is not separate uh, from the universe, but a part of it. And from the all came the God and goddesses, and they are manifested in various forms in the universe. Where is divinity? Divinity, they say, is within. Okay, and where did all this come from? Shocker. This is the lie from the Garden of Eden. But if you don't read your Bible and you don't know your Bible and you're not taught the Bible, you won't realize how much you've been lied to. The devil says this, folks. This is the fall in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 5, and I quote Satan, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be what? Like God. It's the lie of the Garden of Eden. Now, here's the whole point. It looks to me like there's a whole bunch of teachings encouraging people to worship a man, not just as a political figure, but specifically as a God, right? And remember, that's what the Bible says the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to say, worship me as God. And I think that uh, there's already going to be a whole ton of people going, you got it, buddy. I believe that's true. But man, praise God, Bill, that's not happening to the church. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what. Whew, if there's one stronghold, man, it's the church of Jesus Christ. We know our Bibles. There's no way. There's only one God, right? Nobody in the church would promote that a man could become God, right? Well, once again, you guys are catching on to the sarcasm, but I'm still going to do it anyway. Uh, yes, unfortunately, it's happening even in the church. Check a look, uh, look at this, folks. Frederick Price, he said, God can't do anything in this earth realm except what we, the body of Christ, allow him to do. So if man has control, who has, no longer has it? Yeah, uh, God. Yes, we. You are in control. That would make you God, wouldn't it? Oh, it gets even more blatant than that. Benny Hinn said, when you say, I am a Christian, you are saying, I'm a little Messiah walking on earth. That's a shocking revelation. May I say it like this? You are a little God on earth running around. 
uh, Christians are little messiahs and little gods on earth. Say, I'm born of heaven, a God man. I'm a God man. I'm a sample of Jesus. I'm a super being. Say it, say it. No, I'm not going to say it because that's blasphemy. Excuse me? Uh, Paul Kraut said, somebody said, I don't know who said it, but they claim that you faith teachers declare that we are gods. You are a god, I'm a god. Well, are you a god? I am a little god, he says. And, uh, but that's not all. He says, I have his name. I'm one with him. I'm in covenant relationship. I am a, lit a little god. Critics be gone. How about the Bible apparently was gone? Excuse me? Uh, Kenneth Copeland said this, Jesus is no longer the only begotten son of God. You're not a spiritual uh, schizophrenic half God and half Satan. You're all God. You don't have a God in you. You are one. He said, I say this with all respect so that it don't upset you too bad. But I say it anyway. When I read in the Bible where he, Jesus says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. In the church. We're not there yet. We're a long ways. But did you know the Bible says the church is going into apostasy? In the last days. It all fits in line, folks. One more to go or a couple more. Kenneth Hagin said, the believer is called Christ. No, we're called Christians, followers of Christ. He said, that's who we are. We're Christ. You're as much an incarnation of God as Jesus Christ was. And then finally, Morris Cirilla said this, you're not looking at Morris Cirilla. You're looking at God. You're looking at Jesus. No, I'm looking at Morris Cirilla. Well, it's not about you, but uh, I mean, who <laughs> in the right mind would think that there'd ever come a time when the church, come on, where we would actually encourage people to worship a man as a God. And again, here's the point. Tell me that even, unfortunately, in the church, people's hearts are not being prepared to worship the Antichrist as a God. And the Bible says when you see this take place, you better wake up, man, because it's a sign. You're living in the last days. The fifth and final thing that we know about the Jewish people's relationship with the Antichrist is, unfortunately, he's going to go slaughter two-thirds of the Jewish people. He is going to go out and kill and murder Two-thirds of the Jewish people, okay? Now, folks, unlike the church, apparently, the Jewish people, if you understand them, uh, they are never going to go along with worshiping a man as a god, okay? Maybe put their false hopes in as some sort of a, a political savior or messiah. Okay, that's I think, is apparent, okay? So here's the problem. The Antichrist is not going to like it. He wants to be worshipped as a god. He's going to demand to be worshipped as a god. And so halfway into the seven-year tribulation, he isn't just going up in that temple to declare himself to be god, but apparently the Bible says he's going to go after the Jewish people and annihilate them because they refuse to do so. In fact, Zechariah, he gives us the exact number of how many he is going to slaughter. Check this out. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9 says this, In the whole land declares the Lord. How many? The context is Jewish people. In the last days, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in them. Parallel passages for your curiosity, Matthew 24, Revelation chapter 12, okay? Yet one-third is going to be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name. I will answer them. I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord, finally Israel, the Lord is our God. And what we see here, folks, in this uh, text is actually some good news and some bad news. The Bible says, believe it or not, one day the good news is, what well, we saw that Paul said the temporary blindness is going away. Okay, the Jewish people are finally going to lose their blindness and get right with God. Unfortunately, the bad news is, the kicker that's going to uh, remove those scales, if you will, is the true identity of the Antichrist three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation. Two-thirds are going to be annihilated by him. Now, if that were to happen today, based on current statistics, that would be approximately, right now, five million people. 
And I think it's going to be compressed in a much shorter time than what Adolf Hitler did over many years. Five million Jewish people, if it were to happen today, that's what the Antichrist is going to do. And you might be thinking, well, gee whiz, there's no way seeing any signs of this prophecy in Zechariah coming to pass. I mean, I mean, come on. Once again, the History Channel. I mean, we've seen the history of World War II and uh, Hitler and the evil atrocities with the Holocaust. I mean, there's, there's no way that we would, especially in the same generation that it occurred with what Hitler did, that we would ever allow somebody else to once again do another Holocaust on the Jewish people, right? Sarcasm. That's right, Daniel. I'm using sarcasm. You know what's coming. Folks, what I'm about to share with you is not only shocking again, but it reveals again that even off the heels of what Adolf Hitler did, there's a sudden rise of anti-Semitism on the planet to where researchers right now are saying it's just as bad now as it was in the 1930s, right before Hitler appeared on the scene and did what he did. But what's even more shocking is you're going to see it's not just around the world with, you know, uh, Palestinian countries. You'd expect that not condoning it, but it's even here in America. Check this out. Let's take a look. of Adolf Hitler? No. You don't know who he is? No. Adolf Hitler, what do you know about him? He was, uh, uh, what's it called? Well, he was kind of a president. What do you know about Adolf Hitler? I really don't know anything about it. <laughs> Have you heard of Adolf Hitler? Um, no. <laughs> Never heard of him? No. I vaguely remember him. Who was Adolf Hitler? Um, he was the guy that's in was he German? I really don't know that much about him. Who was Adolf Hitler? Um... Who was Adolf Hitler? I don't know. You have no idea at all? No. Uh, he was a communist. Um... Is he like an actor or someone? So tell me what you know about Adolf Hitler? Uh, I don't know anything about him. You ever heard of him? No, I haven't. Who's the guy with the mustache? Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. It's 1943. A German officer has pointed a machine gun at you and told you to get in a bulldozer and drive it forward. You look in front of you, there's a big pit. Hundreds of Jewish families have been shot, and they're in the pit. Many of them are dead, but some of them are still alive. He's telling you to bury them alive. You know that if you say no, he's just going to say, okay, and shoot you with his machine gun. Okay, and someone else is going to do it. He's going to do it. Would you do what he says? I don't know. Wow, I think that's a powerful question. If you do what he says, he's going to let you live. Would you drive the bulldozer forward? I think I would do it forward only because of um, the fear of my own life and feeling, fearing that I, ha I have no other choice. Would you do what he says? Absolutely. Would you do what he says? Probably, yes. You just bury those Jews? Yeah, if, I, if it was me or uh, if it was my life, I would probably do that, yeah. I'd do it. I would probably do it just to save myself and my family. Would you do what he wants? Yeah. You just drive it forward? You wouldn't hesitate? 
wouldn't even hesitate. I don't know about you, but it makes me wonder what in the world are they teaching in school? Maybe let me rephrase that. What are they not teaching in school? Folks, the Bible says that in the last days, the Antichrist is going to seek to kill two-thirds of the Jewish people, and by the looks of it, in our lifetime with the previous generation, looks to me like he's not going to get a whole lot of resistance. And the absolutely horrific irony is he might be getting plenty of help. It's happening again. People, we have to wake up. What more does God have to do? He loves us. This is why he's given us the warning sign these last three weeks of the Jewish people to show this is just one of 10. And that's not even all of them. He's trying to show us that the tribulation is near. The second coming of Jesus Christ is rapidly approaching. This is why Jesus said this should motivate us, Christians. Luke 21, 28, when you see these things begin to take place, what do you do? Run for the hills? No, get motivated for Jesus. Stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Whether we like it, lump it, leave it or not, we are headed for the final countdown. And so the point in closing today is if you're here as a Christian, it is time to get busy for Jesus. We have got to lay aside our differences. We have got to get busy working together as God's team, specifically saving souls. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I beg you, please heed the signs, heed the warnings. Give your life to Jesus today because you do not want to be around when the Antichrist does take control. It's horrific. We'll close in prayer after this.
Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly. The Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime, 
they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you for sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.